Lord, we are so grateful that we can look back at your first advent. Thank you that this is a historic moment that was recorded by those who experienced you. Even before you were born, your presence was being felt by people like Zachariah and Elizabeth and their whole village. We thank you, Lord, that we can look back and celebrate, and then that gives us just the energy we need to look forward and hope to the second time that you will come to make all things right, to rule and to judge, to purify, to encourage, uh, and to call us into your glorious kingdom. So we're caught between those two Advents, Lord, and we're caught this morning, this third Sunday of Advent. I pray that you would be the, uh, the sunrise that we look to to come visit us, and we pray that you would lead us step by step into the way of peace. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. And good morning. Um, good to see your shining faces this morning. Um, so Laura and I, my wife Laura and I, we've, we've been married for 14 years, and we've married, we've married, we've moved five times in those 14 years. Um, and each time we've leaned pretty heavily on our friends and family to, to show up in our hour of need. Maybe you've had this experience where you do everything you need to do to, to be ready for moving day. You've packed most of the boxes and, and maybe you've labeled them. You've rented the moving truck. You've purchased uh, the donuts and the bagels and the coffee and you're just like waiting for your friends to show up. And all you can do is wait. And so, because uh, if they don't show up, guess who's packing the moving truck? Um, so, but then, uh, but then maybe the time comes for you and it came for us where there's a text that comes in or there's someone who's, they're ringing, they're standing at your front doorstep and they're ringing the doorbell. And they're like, I'm here. And you're like, you're here, you showed up, Susan. You're gonna help me. And Will showed up too. Yeah, you got big muscles and... Um, you know, I'm not going to break my back. Will is here. Kevin's here. Um, and they're going to they're gonna help me um, pack the moving truck. We count on our friends to show up in our, in our time of need, like moving day. And when they do, it's good news. The good news of the gospel is that we can count on the Lord to show up to our life and to our world in our time of need. We've got needs that are much bigger than you know, needing to get the boxes down four flights of stairs into the moving truck. We have broken lives. We have broken relationships. We have a broken world. We deal with some heavy issues, some heavy matters. And just the presence of the Lord to show up to us in our hour of need is such an encouragement. And it's such a help. Because he is here to bring the good news of the Lord. He's here to bring us supernatural help. He's here to set things right that we can't do ourselves. And he's ringing our doorbell. And our house can be a complete mess. We, we maybe haven't even started solving the problem. We haven't even started packing in. Jesus Christ shows up, his face is shining, and he's ready. He's like, just let me in, I'll help you pack. Let me in, I'll help you clean up. Let me in, I wanna help you, I wanna carry this load with you. That's the good news that we, that we anticipate and also remember in the season of Advent. It's such encouraging news. Advent is a time of waiting, but it's a time of great encouragement. We have an encouraging and very present Lord who came to live among us. And that's what we remember when we look back at his first coming in the incarnation 
uh, when he became a man, born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ. So turn with me uh, to Luke 1, 57 through 80, and we're going to look at three visitations of the Lord in a time of need. This is, this is the Lord, the presence of the living Christ. His presence is being felt even before he's born. And he shows up in three different ways right on the verge of his birth. Three visitations. The first visitation is uh, the Lord visits us in our disappointment. The Lord visits us in our disappointment. I don't know if you've, you've ever experienced a, a life disappointment Maybe you had high hopes for a relationship. Uh, you know, things were really going well. There, you know, the relationship was really clicking. Maybe it was a romance or maybe it was a friendship or maybe it was a colleague. And, and this, this is a really promising relationship, but then it end in kind of a crushing rejection. Have you ever dealt with that kind of a relationship, that kind of a disappointment? Maybe you had big dreams for your career and just one thing after another just sort of fizzled out and you had nothing to show for all your efforts, all your preparation. Maybe you have a disappointment. Um, you know, uh, it was like just someone um, that you trusted and just they just really let you down. Someone, maybe it was uh, uh, your parents made a promise to you or, or, or your kids were really doing well, then they took a turn for the worse or um, your, your, your spouse, they betrayed you or, or your, your, your boss um, kind of overpromised and underdelivered for you. Maybe you've been let down by the church. Maybe you've been let down by, by uh, civic leaders, political leaders. Um, have you ever been disappointed? And it's so, so important because when we get disappointed, our hearts start to shut down. And um, it's good news that when we're disappointed, the Lord Jesus shows up. He shows up to us in our disappointment. All of us can relate with, with uh, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, in some way. Um, so Elizabeth was this woman, she loved God, she was really faithful. She did everything that the Lord asked her to do. And, um, but for decades and decades, she was uh, unable to conceive a child. Her, her and Zachariah, both of them, I mean, they, were, they really did have a heart for God and they served God faithfully and yet they weren't given any children. And, and like we talked about a couple weeks ago, in that time, people got real judgy if you could not have children. They thought, oh, God must be judging you. God must be, be punishing you for, for disobeying him in some way. So not only was, was Elizabeth disappointed by just she couldn't become a mother when she wanted to, but also in her small town, everyone looked down on her. Everyone judged her. Everyone whispered about her. And she even said herself that it was like she, was a, she had a reproach you know, she wore like the scarlet letter A. She, wore, she just couldn't have kids, and so everyone, she, she was a reproach in her small village. Um, yet the Lord visited her in her disappointment. He visited her in her disappointment. The result of that visitation was a true biological miracle, which, hey, you know what? Most of the time that doesn't happen, but it did in this circumstance. So look with me in Luke 1, verse 57. Luke 1, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Gabriel, the angel, came to Zechariah and, and said, this is gonna happen. 
this is a promise from God. I'm gonna visit Elizabeth and her. She's advanced in years, yes. It's biologically impossible, yes. But she's gonna have a son, okay, after decades of waiting. And uh, so there's a miracle. Now, the ripple effect of this miracle is that there's increasing amounts of restored relationships around Elizabeth. So not only is the Lord giving her a baby, but he's also taking the, um, the, the cloak of reproach off of her body. And uh, she has restored relationships with her village. Look at verse 58. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. The Lord had shown great mercy to her. This is the Lord showing up even before he's born. And they rejoiced with her. And they rejoiced with her. And what a healing moment that must have been for Elizabeth. To have the, peop- the, peop- the friends and the relatives and the interconnected web of, um, uh, of like shame became this uh, sort of interconnected web of rejoicing and, and restoration. They finally saw, oh, we- we've been maybe seeing this all wrong for a long time. And, and this isn't about Elizabeth. This is about the Lord and his mercy. Uh, so there's a happy resolution for Elizabeth, isn't there? There's a happy resolution. And this is the last we hear of Elizabeth for the whole rest of the Bible, you know, in, in the Gospel of Luke or any other. So we don't know what happens to Elizabeth after this. But I just want to point out the fact that this doesn't mean that Elizabeth stopped experiencing disappointments. This didn't mean that Elizabeth was like happy forever, that she never experienced pain. Like the rest of us, success for Elizabeth opens Elizabeth up to even more pain. Isn't that true? Haven't you experienced this where you get what you wanted, but it exposes you to even more pain? So Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, uh, was like a historic figure. He grew up, this child grew up with, with a powerful anointing of the Spirit of God. And he had an amazing, he led a revival ministry that has never been repeated in history. And it was like he was born in a time of kind of spiritual sleepiness and, um, and disillusionment. And he had this desert ministry that uh, included just scores of people, all kinds of people, really up and down the social ladder of the Roman Empire, coming out with a really deep sense of conviction of sin. And even like Roman soldiers being like, what do I do? I, I, I've done all kinds of wrong. And... and um, and John the Baptist, her son, is like, stop extorting. And he spoke truth to power. He baptized people, including the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a really powerful and historic son that she gave birth to. But as a result of him speaking truth to power, he spoke truth to power. He told Herod, he's like, Herod, what you're doing, it's adultery. And of course, you know, when you speak truth to power and it's not pleasant truth, that gets you in trouble. And so John the Baptist had this pastoral moment where he's calling someone out and he's saying, what you're doing isn't okay. And so um, guess what? Um, Long story short, he was brutally killed. And in like a gruesome way, we won't even go into it now, but it was really gross and and grotesque and, and like demonic. And so one of two things happened for Elizabeth, okay? Either she, either she died before seeing her son grow up and seeing his ministry flourish, or she didn't, or she lived to see her son's brutal death, right? In either case, Elizabeth still experienced pain and still experienced disappointment and still needed the Lord to show up. And it doesn't matter how good things go for any of us. It doesn't matter how much success we have. It doesn't matter if we have miracle after miracle after miracle. 
you and I are gonna continue to be disappointed until the day we see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. And so Advent is a season of spiritual preparation where we learn to invite the Lord Jesus into our disappointments, and where we invite him to say, to look us in the face and to give us hope and to, um, to be the very presence of good news for us. That's the time where we need him to ring the doorbell on our front porch and say, I'm here, I know you're sad, I know you're disillusioned, I know you've experienced pain, but I am here to be present with you, I'm here, uh, in some cases, to solve the problem, but in, in, in every case, um, to, to, to be the presence of God, to be the presence of hope. All of us need the Lord to show up in our disappointments, give us comfort, to give us hope. Secondly, we need him to show up in our doubts. So the Lord shows up to, to Elizabeth in her disappointments, but you know, um, the Lord showed up to Zachariah in his spiritual doubts. Um, I have a lot of conversations with people who doubt. Just, it's like a big theme in our culture and in our time, people inside the church, people outside the church. Charles Taylor in his book, A Secular Age, notes that um, believer, in, our, in our secular age, believers are tempted to doubt while, while non-believers um, are tempted to faith. They're tempted to belief. And so all kinds of people are doubting. People are doubting their doubts. People are doubting their faith. Maybe you've, you've grown up with a, like a rock-solid sort of faith in Christ, and, and you were really, you had just a confidence in, uh, in, in Jesus Christ, in the gospel, in the Bible, and now you have more questions than you can answer, and it's sort of left you in a state of confusion. I remember a big chunk of my 20s, several years where, where doubt was a major theme in my life. I doubted God's existence. I doubted Jesus' claims about himself. I doubted the existence of heaven and hell. I doubted the authority of God's word. I doubted a lot of things. And for me, my experience of that was it was very painful and it was very confusing. It was hard for me to connect with God in all of that doubt. I wanted to, but I also struggled. So um, I have empathy for you and your doubts. In fact, for me, in my own journey, it was a really important part of my own faith development. It was a really important part of my own maturity to work through those doubts. And um, so I have empathy for you in your doubts. So I'm gonna encourage you that it's a normal thing. It's a normal part of the of journey in Christ. And also, I wanna invite you to have empathy for Zachariah. So Zachariah was, he was, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He's a priest. He's like Elizabeth, he's faithful. But in a key moment where God is revealing himself to Zachariah, Zachariah has this point where he's like, eh, not so sure, maybe you should prove it moment. With, with Gabriel, who's like the archangel. You know, he's like the mega angel standing in front of Zachariah. And Zachariah's like, I don't know. And so, and so Gabriel's like, you know what? Fine, you're gonna be silent and unable to hear. You can't hear and you can't talk, which is what I would like to do with my kids sometimes. Um, sorry, that was unplanned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> back to Luke 1. Um, so, speaking of family, maybe you're going to have some interactions with your extended family over Christmas. So here's a little lesson in having boundaries. Verse 59, 
of Luke 1. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. This is Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. Oh, they would have, would they? They would have called him interesting. But his mother answered, verse 60, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And I like the uh, shall there. He shall be called John. You can use that in your family interactions this Christmas. Um, and of, jo- of course, John means God has been gracious. Verse 61, and they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. Oh, interesting observation. <laughs> none of your relatives is called by this name. And this was a social convention that you would just name your children after you. And so it was like a, it was like, it was a custom. And, um, and so Zachariah Jr. was like the natural name for this baby. And so there's peer pressure on Elizabeth, and she resists. And what do you do when mommy says no? Verse 62. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So, um, so Elizabeth says no, he's going to be called John. And so, hey, Zachariah, maybe you'll say Zachariah. And so um, Zachariah can't hear any of this, but somehow picks up what's going on. And so he, he takes a tablet, and he writes his name shall be called John. His name shall be called John. He doesn't know that Elizabeth has been insisting on the name John. He can't hear her talk. He can't hear the people talk. And so this is kind of a sign to everyone else, okay, his name is John. Now think about this. This is the first time that Zechariah is really communicating in faith. According to, the historic, according to Luke 1, that Zechariah, for the first time, he's really leaning into what Gabriel told him to begin with. And he's speaking, he's obeying the Lord Jesus, he's obeying the word of the Lord in faith, and uh, then he begins to praise God and glorify God. Um, So Zechariah is able to act in faith. Um, I wonder what contributed to this. You think about, this is nine months of not being able to talk and not being able to hear. Think about, have you ever even not spoken for a day? is actually really powerful. For me, this has been one of the most transforming things. Whenever I am feeling disillusioned from God, whenever I'm feeling far from him, and that still happens to me, and I'm a pastor, I still sometimes feel like I can't hear God, um, and I can't connect with him. And one of the key things for me has been to, to get away for a day, or two or three, and to be quiet, to not sit with anyone, to not talk to anyone, um, and to uh, turn off my phone, and to listen to God, to open the word of God. It's silence, and it's solitude, and it's scriptures. Now, we don't know what the nine months were like for Zechariah. I think that there's good reason that if he couldn't speak and he couldn't hear, uh, that, you know, he's a man of the word of God. He was thinking about the word of God, that he was spending time in the word of God, that he was listening in his silence to, to the voice of the Lord. Zechariah taught his whole life from the scriptures. That was one of the main things that he did as a priest. And he taught from Genesis all the way through Malachi. And I imagine that Zechariah, in those nine months of silence, really got to take a chance to soak deeply in the presence of God and in the word of God. And one of the reasons I think this is because what comes out of his mouth, what comes out of his mouth after the Lord opens his mouth is an amazing thing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, so he's visited by the Lord, and he prophesies in great faith about what the Lord is doing. 
which leads us to our third point, is that the Lord visits us in our darkness. The Lord visits us in our darkness. He visits us in our disappointment, as he did with Elizabeth. He visits us um, in our doubt, as he did with Zechariah. And finally, he visits us in our darkness. Now, some of you have been cast in a musical, or maybe many of you have been to a musical. Musicals tell a story, and every once in a while, the action of the story stops, and the significance of the story is brought out by a song. And so uh, it's like you're, you're able to see the depth and, and the, even the tension within the story that you're watching based on the song. Now, every once in a while, there's a reprise. Now, what a reprise does is it takes elements of the songs that have gone before it, and it weaves it together and brings it together in a way that helps you see the full significance of the whole story that you're partaking in. Do you hear the people sing? You're like, oh, that's about the French Revolution, right? Are we about to revolt? No, all those people died earlier in the story, if you remember, and then it continues. I'm not going to continue to sing, but talking about they're, they're climbing towards the light. So the reprise in Les Mis is taking the elements of the stories of revolution and it's telling a story actually of resurrection. Now what Zechariah is giving us is a great reprise and the great song of the story of salvation. He's taking bits from the law and the prophets and he's singing a song that brings to mind Genesis through Malachi, what I think he was meditating on in those nine months and his whole life. And he's giving it a new twist. So let's look together at the song that's coming out of his mouth. Verse 68, Zechariah, after nine months of silence, sings this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. What part of the song of the story of God's people does that remind you of? We, we studied it this fall, the, the, the story of Exodus. God visiting and redeeming his people out of slavery. Does it remind you of Exodus 15, the great song of Moses, the great song of the people of God? Zechariah is singing about another greater Exodus that's coming. How about verse 69? What does that remind you of? He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Oh, this is... Remember that song, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands, the great and mighty king that God has provided for his people, who's gonna defeat the great Goliaths of our age to allow them to live without fear, to have a glorious kingdom. The horn, like the horn of a rhinoceros, the great and mighty horn of David is being, is being called up again. So not only is there another exodus, there's also another King David that's coming. God's promise of I'll raise up a house for you forever, David. What about verse 70? What does that remind you of? Verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I'm reminded of Isaiah's words uh, that God spoke through Isaiah to his people in exile when they were shipped off to foreign countries uh, living far from home. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. I'm reminded uh, by verse 70 of Zechariah's words. The prophet Zechariah, 
um, when he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. What about verse 72 and 73? To show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Here we hear strands of the melody from Genesis. God's revealing himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promises that God made to them that he would show up to them. Everyone listening, maybe they felt deserted by God. Maybe they felt the darkness of the Roman Empire, the darkness of their family, the darkness of their own heart. And maybe they hear a great, see a great sunrise as Zechariah is singing. He's singing words of hope, singing words that, that stir up the, the great promises of God from the Old Testament, all of which are true, all of which God will keep. And uh, he promises uh, uh, in his great reprise, uh, 74, that we, not just the uh, people of God in ages past, but we, Zechariah onward, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. Zechariah is going, hey, you know, look, Jesus is, the Lord is showing up to our doorstep in our darkness, and he's ringing the doorbell. He's saying, I'm here to, to turn on the lights. I'm here to deliver you from your enemies, whether it's an internal enemy or an external enemy. And all of us have had a situation like this where um, maybe you've had a moment of self-sabotage. Have you ever had a moment of self-sabotage? You've chosen darkness. You've, you've, you've shut the blinds of your, of your life. You've turned off the, uh, the, uh, the light switch, and you've gone, you know what? I want to go a different way than the way I'm called to go. And so you've chosen darkness for yourself, and maybe you still carry the guilt of that or the shame of that in your own soul. Maybe you've experienced a, a situation where it's not darkness you've chosen, it's a systemic darkness. It's a, it's a darkness that's bigger than you. Um, this is like when there's a power outage in the middle of the night, except the power outage has to do with a whole system of racism or a whole system of injustice or a whole system of sexual exploitation, or a whole system of dysfunction. Maybe your job has taken you into systemic darkness, and you're trying to fight it with every ounce of your being, but it's so draining for you because everything around you is dysfunctional. People who work um, in, in public service sometimes experience this. They want to do the right thing, but they see this breakdown in education. They see this breakdown in the foster care system. They see this they see this breakdown in the legal system. They see this breakdown in um, the way that uh, neighbors relate with one another, but instead they're suing one another, and it just becomes this big, messy thing. Darkness can be personal. Darkness can be systemic. And in either case, Jesus Christ has come to, to ring the doorbell, to show up to our darkness, and to say, I'm here to carry the load. I'm here to turn on the light. I'm here to lead us out. Um, I love the, the last couple of verses from Zechariah's song. Um, so verse 78, he says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now this imagery helps us understand the significance of the incarnation. So here you have a sunrise Coming, if you're sitting, imagine yourself, you're sitting in complete darkness. 
It's as dark as it was in Egypt. It's as dark as it has been in the greatest blackout where all the phones are dead and you can't even turn on the flashlight. It's as dark as it could be, and you see um, off in the distance just the glimmerest faint of the sunrise, just the glimmerest faint of like a star, and you see the sunrise get brighter and brighter, and not only is this huge, bright, powerful sunrise, but then the sunrise comes to visit you. Look with me again at um, verse 78. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. What, what would happen if the sun, in all of its power, in all of its weight, in all of its majesty, was able to somehow diminish its power or, 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 or cast aside some of the privileges of its brightness so that it could actually exist right next to you and lead you step by step out of your dark apartment, out of your dark situation, into the way of peace? What would happen if the sunrise like the Lord in Exodus, was able to come visit you without burning you up. This is the incarnation. This is Jesus Christ coming to visit us. It's, he's the sunrise, and he's come to visit us in our darkness to gently, lovingly, as one of us, as a human being, to lead us step by step out into the way of peace. I was talking with someone just recently about how uh, this happened through the church. They were telling me about how uh, women who are trafficked often don't know what city they're in. They have no idea where they are because they've been moved from suburb to suburb, from city to city, and so they don't even know where they are. And everyone, the, the blinds on their life are shut completely. They have no power. And so what happened was through a ministry that would make phone calls where, where women from the church would make phone calls to women um, trapped in trafficking, they would um, call, sometimes leave voicemails for women and they would just um, have a relationship with them. They would leave prayers for them. And there was one woman um, who, was, who was trapped in kind of a massage parlor trafficking situation who received a voicemail from a woman in the church that was, that was uh, uh, reaching out on behalf of this team. And, uh, and it was just, that was the only way that she could be reached was through her voicemail. And she played that voicemail over and over and over again because it was full of light it was full of mercy, it was full of Jesus, it was full of hope, and that was all she had, okay? That was all she had, but it reached her. Okay, the sunrise from on high, coming all the way into our situation, even in the form of a voicemail, to give us hope. But you know what that led to? Um, that led her into the way of peace. That voicemail led to, to other face-to-face -face encounters with this team of women from the church, which, which led to her getting free completely from her trapped situation. This is what Jesus Christ does. He finds us exactly where we are. And it doesn't matter how trapped we are, how enslaved we are, whether it's all our fault, someone else's fault, usually a combination of the two. It's not about fault. It's about forgiveness, and it's about grace, and it's about mercy. The sunrise from on high visiting us without burning us up and then leading us step by step out into greater and greater uh, freedom, greater and greater uh, light, greater and greater hope. This is Jesus's promise to every one of us during the season of Advent. Maybe you've never followed him. This is your opportunity to say yes to him in your disappointment, yes to him in your doubt, yes to him in your darkness. He will lead us into the way of peace. So let us look for him. Let us watch for him. He's ringing the doorbell. He's on the front porch.
So open the door and let him in. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.